Straight from Washington, D.C., right across from the Capitol, this is Special Session with former Congressman John Porter, where you'll hear from the most interesting people in America. Here is your host, John Porter. Brian Donahue, welcome to Special Sessions. There's helicopters flying around the building when you show up. Uh, it's the eve of inauguration in Washington, D.C., I uh, appreciate you coming by. Brian Donahue is the founder and CEO of Kraft, Kraft Media. Uh, we've been friends for over a decade. Uh, appreciate you stopping by today. Now, not only did you graduate from Campaign World, now you're into corporate and, and doing special projects around the country, if not around the world. So please join in welcoming award-winning Brian Donahue. Uh, appreciate oh. you coming. Well, thank you. You're too kind. And uh, what, a, what a great opportunity to have a conversation and I think give others a peek inside uh, conversations that you and I have had over the years. So this is a this is wonderful to be a part of. Thanks for having me. So it's Capitol Hill. Uh, the the sun is shining again. There's helicopters flying around. There's security gates going up. There's tourists. There's excitement. What did it feel like from Brian Donahue's perspective when you came to Capitol Hill today? You know, it's even when I started uh, as a political operative years ago as a kid out of college working on campaigns. I'm still in awe. It is still awe-inspiring to be a part of uh, the, the, the changeover power here in the United States. And, and Washington right now is really the epicenter of, of the eyes of the country and the eyes of the world. And uh, we have been doing this through our history, and that's changing power over uh, in a peaceful manner. Uh, and I think that's what makes our country great, is, is the ability to see new presidents come in and do new and amazing things. Well, and Brian, some of the things that you and I have talked about through the years about the transition, of not only of the country, but of Washington, D.C., uh, as, as you've told me many times, Washington used to be the political hub of the world, and Washington, D.C., being that of the world, New York was the financial hub of the world. Well, today, right. Washington is both. Uh, it's financial, it's political. Uh, there is not an international or national uh, business that doesn't uh, have offices here, interact here. Those that want to be a part of the world, they're here, right? That's Some right. of your companies. So tell us some of the things you're working on. Yeah, well, I, and something that I like to say is that all roads now lead to Washington. And, you know, some might argue that's better for worse. Uh, but, uh, yes, when I grew up outside of Manhattan, that was the place to be. That was the epicenter. That's where everybody came. And that's really shifted over the years. Uh, I think because of influence and because of, of Washington's impact and role internationally, um, but also the amount of work and legislation that is going through our, our federal government and going through the act of politics. And we have clients who are facing a lot of different issues, regulatory, legislative issues, some here at the federal level and some at the local and state level. Uh, you know, a lot of people believe that the do nothing Congress has led to the do everything uh, municipalities and states. And so we're seeing a lot of activity. There's a lot more activism in politics now and a lot more individuals pushing agendas. And that requires the work of experts, those in, in the profession of government affairs, public affairs, and PR to navigate that and to help make some of the better outcomes. I remember we were sitting at a restaurant here in Washington seven plus years ago, and you were talking about your vision moving forward and building craft. And I said, what are you doing, Brian? He said, John, just watch. We're gonna build a business and we're gonna be a substantial player in the country, if not the world, and you are. Uh, literally, it was you and a few of your friends with a mission and a dream. So 70 years ago, you created Kraft. Uh, 
Uh, talk a little bit about what all you guys do. I know technology, communication, technology. Right. Tell us what all you do. Well, we came out of the political uh, campaign space, helping candidates uh, and electing them to office. And we take some of those same exact tactics, tools, and technology, and we apply them to businesses, and we apply them to associations and interest groups, and help them find success um, in an environment that feels similar to politics. You have to move opinion. You have to uh, gain uh, support for an issue or whatever you're trying to do. And so we take some of those exact same fundamental principles and we help apply them to businesses. Um, and changing the way that people communicate, I think, is the most important thing, John. So our background is in media production, media background, digital, digital campaigns, social media, and PR. Um, and the way that people communicate now is so different. So what we are are agents of change to help our clients communicate more effectively in a very cluttered and a changing media environment. So I have this perspective uh, coming out of this campaign that Twitter, uh, strength of, of direct media, and not to comment on some of the things that are said, I certainly don't in, in, uh, endorse, but for the moment I want to talk about the science. It seems to me that Twitter now is like the Uber of media, uh, where you used to have to take a taxi, mm -hmm. you didn't have any choice, uh, other than maybe you liked a particular brand of taxi, but you right. didn't have a choice and you couldn't get it when you wanted it. You, you may need a ride to the airport with that taxi, but it wasn't available. Well, today, uh, I see the media uh, moving, uh, uh, transitioning, and, and there's a disruption, it appears to me, and this is yeah. your business, where the media now uh, is the filter of the media is being adjusted by Uber Twitter. Yeah. So you're going directly. So talk about the new means of communication for business leaders and what they need to do, what they should be watching for in this new uh, disruption of media as we know it. Yeah, well, the, uh, you know, at, at no other time in history have people changed the way they communicate than they have in the last 20 years. People used to, like you said, using your analogy, um, you didn't have a lot of control over it. Uh, it's like hailing a taxi and you take it to the same destinations. And there was very few of those, a few newspapers, a few broadcast networks, um, and maybe some places online where you could find news and information, but usually that was coming from the same media empires. Today that has changed dramatically. The way people watch news and collect information, the way they shop, um, the, the way that they check sports scores, the way that they do everything in their life, the way that they commute has changed and evolved due to the change in media and these platforms by which they communicate. So we have social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook and others, and we've got a lot of voices doing a lot of different things. And so people have become segmented in terms of how they, uh, how they capture information and how they make decisions. Um, in some ways that's a very good thing, um, you know, less control. Uh, by, by a small group. In other ways, it's a challenging thing because we have this whole issue of fake news. So I was real talk to you what about this fake believe? news. As yeah. we were talking about before we started recording, I want to be part of that fake news police. Can, <laughs> can we start a fake news police department? Yeah. Because I want to know who's going to decide what's real. And, and you and I have been in this political business for a long time. Right. I've heard fake news my whole career, yeah. uh, but it all depends on who's saying it, whether it's fake or not. So now all of a sudden there's this buzzword of fake news. How, how does, how does the, our, our listener, how do they decide what's real and what isn't? Because for years it's been slow. Well, since Thomas Jefferson, there's been fake news. So how do you cut through the clutter today? 
Well, you're right. I mean, the the uh, Durham McKinley's time, um, one of the most influential operatives um, was an individual who was involved with McKinley, and they started this thing called broadsheets. Broadsheets was another sort of euphemism or term for newspapers. And really what they did was they made them look like real news, and they were pushing McKinley's agenda, and they were pushing out anti-messages about his opponents and the opposition party and everything else. And so we can date that back to the late 1800s when people were producing quote-unquote fake news. But um, the downside of this sort of change, which I think we're still working our way through as a society and a culture is, is we've come to know and understand major news institutions and they abided by certain, to some degree, standards uh, by which they would roll information out. They would have check sources, uh, they would be verified. There would well, be not so a check source things. is just another outlet that may not have checked the source. That's exactly I mean, it's right. just an echo chamber. Of, and you start to hear what you want to hear, right? So you turn to things that are telling you what you believe, even though it may not be correct. That's exactly right. And, and, and the rush to get news out, the rush to affect opinion through your news. Yes, be first. To be first and not to be right, but to try and move your agenda across audiences has become much more valuable um, than doing it right and being the one and the only source has created an environment where it's the wild west, John. It's the wild west uh, in news and information and it's hard to verify what's what. What seems to me, and we both have good friends in media, very trusted media uh, and journalists, uh, that too are being lost. Uh, I was, I had a good fortune with Steve Portnoy from ABC Radio not too long ago. He, provide a presentation to some uh, EDON in uh, northern Nevada, and we talked at length about the echo chamber and how difficult it is for legitimate uh, journalist media experts uh, to get their message out. So if, if we could uh, just think about the future of politics over the next couple of years, what do you see next? What is the next media disruption that may happen in 17, 18, 19? What's next? Well, it's difficult to say, um, and in fact, it, it, it could be something that hasn't even arrived yet. And, and this is something that I taught about at Graduate School of Political Management, which is the changes in power and influence as that's come along right alongside of technology. You know, you had FDR with radio, you had Kennedy with television, you had uh, Reagan's ability to understand his teams, under, understand direct mail. Um, Newt Gingrich's ability to understand 24-hour cable news. The Clintons understood the 24-hour news cycle, and they did that well. Obama understood the internet and social media, but Donald Trump understood social media in a whole Well, and Bill Clinton way. understood retail politics as well. He knew that, Absolutely. that handshake. He was able to touch, you know, and literally look at a person in the eyes, and, and he has had a charisma, has a charisma. Yeah. But today it's electronic. Yes, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's important um, that you make that point because being out there is important, not just hold up in an office and running a campaign from there. And I think what Twitter has done for Trump is that same effect that Clinton had, that retail effect. There is no transference, no filter, no filter. between Donald Trump and people. Yeah. And that is something entirely new. Well, some uh, of the, the media sources, again, Plus, there's a lot of professionals out there trying to figure out how to be germane. Yeah. But some are like a fish on a dock. They're just right. flipping around trying to figure out what to do. Here we have a, a, a historic moment in time, uh, and there is more activism today. Part of it, I'm sure, as you said earlier, is part of, driven by social media. Yeah. But uh, 
if, if you just had like uh, words of wisdom, uh, again, for today, sure. the, on the eve of the inauguration, what are your thoughts about what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, uh, <clears throat> tomorrow um, we will see, again, I don't think we place enough emphasis, we will see the transfer of power and that done in a peaceful manner by which all the American people are a witness to. And that is not something that every country in the world is afforded. We're going to see that and that's going to be exciting. The day after is going to be, I think, more important in terms of what happens next. And I think that despite the 2016 election, despite the opposition, the disagreements coming from different places, we have to give the new administration an opportunity and a chance because that's what the American people wanted. And that's what we deserve the best. So well said. And hope. you've been with me. We've walked through the Capitol many times, and I'm sure you'll remember. I always stop in the rotunda every day, it's true. and I'm in the Capitol two or three times a week when the Congress is in session. I stop in the rotunda right there where many presidents have laid in the state, and I count our blessings. Uh, all the people that have died uh, to be uh, uh, to protect us, allow us to be here. All the people trying to come to the U.S. This you know, statue of freedom on top of the Capitol, and in spite of all of our blemishes, and yes, we have problems. You and I could talk about them for hours, uh, but in spite of our blemishes, there's so many great things. And whether you're Democrat or Republican, Independent or where, whatever, uh, welcome <coughs> to America. And at least we can have these debates. And at That's least right. we can stand in the rotunda and say thanks. So, Brian, uh, founder, CEO of Kraft Media, uh, one of the top uh, companies in the country. And it's an honor for me to be able to sit with you for a few moments and look forward to seeing you again soon, my friend. Thank you so much. This is exciting. Thanks again, John. Take care. Okay. This concludes another podcast of Special Session with former Congressman John Porter. Thank you for listening.